0: Okay, so we're up to mitzvah number 79. And today we're going to do four different mitzvahs. Mitzvah number 79, and then 233, 234, and 235. Now, why would we go out of order? The answer is because we're going to follow the order. We're up to mitzvah number 79 now. And we're following the mitzvahs in the order in which they appear in the Torah. But sometimes certain general ideas are divided up into various places in the Torah, and therefore, we're going to try to bunch the things that are relevant, that are similar laws together, so we have like a whole concept, a whole idea, and we can bunch it all together. So we're going to do four mitzvahs today. Mitzvah number 79, which is the mitzvah not to favor the poor and the less fortunate in judgment. If you're a judge, if you're overseeing a court case, and one of the litigants is poor... And you may feel an urge to show favoritism to the poor. You may not do that. That's a violation of mitzvah number 79. And related mitzvahs, 233 is not to corrupt judgment. So when you're a judge, you must rule in accordance to the law of the Torah. You may not rule against the law of the Torah. After all, you're a judge and your prime responsibility is to adjudicate a given matter as per the laws of the Torah, and therefore there is a prohibition to violate that and to rule against the law of the Torah. That's mitzvah number 233. 234 is almost the opposite of mitzvah number 79. If mitzvah number 79 is to not favor the weak and the poor and the less fortunate, mitzvah number 234 is to not favor the rich and the powerful, if you have a litigant that's really rich and really powerful, really, really important, you may feel an urge to show favoritism to that litigant. That would be a violation of its the number 234. And finally, mitzvah number 235 is to rule with justice. And this is a, a theme that we see throughout the mitzvahs is sometimes we have similar ideas that are divided up into separate mitzvahs. And sometimes almost the identical idea will appear in two varieties. You'll have the negative, don't behave in way X, and then you'll have a positive, a positive mitzvah, yes, behave in, uh, in, in way Y. So we have the mitzvah not to corrupt judgment. That's a negative mitzvah. Don't do this and that. And then we have a positive mitzvah to yes, indeed, rule with justice. Okay. So that's the mitzvahs we're going to cover today. So let's start with The basic idea not to corrupt judgment. If you're a judge, you cannot rule in any other way aside from the laws of the Torah. People come to you and they want judgment. And you, as a fiduciary of the court, you're like a stand-in, a representative, an emissary of God. And the people come to you and they want the judgment, the ruling of God. They have a disagreement. They have a dispute you must rule in accordance with the Torah. Now, the Sefer Chinuch, the book that we are using to guide us through the 613 mitzvot, he tells us that actually, in the event that the litigants themselves agree that they want some other kind of ruling, they don't want the ruling of the Torah, they want something else. Maybe they want a settlement, they want a compromise, they want you to use some other system, that's okay. But if they're coming to you as a judge, and you're going to give judgment, and you're going to rule as per the law of the Torah, you must give that ruling. going to be a violation of this mitzvah to use any other system, to use any other methodology of arriving at a verdict aside from the laws of the Torah. Now, the theme behind this, and this is something we know intuitively, of course, is that A society cannot function without justice. And this is something that, thankfully, we're living in a world where that principle has filtered into the society at large, the world at large. The concept of justice for all, of equality under the law. No one is above the law. The concept of impartiality of the justice, that there's a judiciary that's there that's impartial, that's removed from the particular litigants, and it's not like the powerful could corrupt and bribe, you come in front of the judiciary, and at least the idea is whether or not it's actually in practice such. But at least the concept is that there's equality under law, and that provides a certain baseline of stability for the society. Now, what does this mean on a practical level? You're a judge, and there's a particular case brought before you, there are many aspects of how you approach this that will be a fulfillment of this mitzvah. So for example, the very first Mishnah in Pertre is talking to a judge. And the first thing we're told is, Havu misunim badin. You should be deliberate in judgment. When you're a judge, You can render a ruling very quickly or you can really think through the ruling and be deliberate and think about every angle and every aspect and every clause and every element of a particular case. And we are urged as the judiciary if you are someone who sits on a court you must Really spend time and be very deliberate in how you arrive at your ruling. And part of that would be is that if there's a particularly, is that if there's a particularly difficult case, a naughty case, then you should consult with someone who is greater than you. If it's a complicated case, sometimes there's all kinds of factors, all kinds of components of a given law. It's a confusing case it's okay to consult. And if you don't feel like you're qualified, it's actually a mitzvah for you to not judge. This is something that we should try to avoid. Unless you are super qualified to be a judge, you should recuse yourself from this responsibility. It's very important that people who are not qualified don't sit on a court. And we have to press upon ourselves the seriousness of judgment and the importance of not erring. Again, if you are rendering a ruling, you're in effect declaring this is the will of God. You two have a dispute. There's a given uncertainty in this particular case. And I will stand in for God and say this is correct. This person has the merits This person must pay. This particular case is resolved in this way. That's what a dintor is. That's what a question brought before court is. What is the will of God? So someone who is a judge and is confident in making a ruling is someone who can say with confidence, I know what God says in this particular matter. This is not my opinion. This is the will of God. And therefore, it's a very serious thing to do. And if you're not qualified, you should not send a court. And with matters of, let's say, monetary dispute, these are very complicated laws. The Talmud even says, if you want to become very clever, if you want to become very sharp and very intelligent, if you want to hone your mental capabilities, study Talmudic law because the cases are so intricate and the fine line separating one ruling from another is so razor thin that you actually sharpen your mind by studying it. And that's all great if it's all theoretical. But if you are rendering a ruling and there are so many slight factors that could tip the judgment in one way or the other... You're giving a finalized ruling. You're giving a verdict. Make sure you get it correctly. Now, in our view, we look at a case and we say, well, how important is it? What's actually at stake? How big of a difference is it? So there's something called small claims court, right? You've heard of that concept. Small claims court. It's not such a big deal. It's a couple of hundred dollars. It's a couple of thousand dollars. We're not dealing with a mega lawsuit of hundreds of millions of dollars. It's not so important. It's a small claims court. The Talmud tells us that if you are a judge, you cannot have that distinction. You must value and cherish the ruling of one penny as the ruling of a thousand dollars. What is at stake is not material. Why? Because again, you are standing in for God. And if you're standing for God, that's what you're doing here. You are claiming to be representative of God. And therefore it doesn't matter what the states are. You better make sure that you are going to render the correct ruling. And that's why the Talmud tells us that in the event that the litigants agree upon this, it's important for the judge to try to avoid judgment by finding a compromise, by making a settlement instead of a judgment. Judgment means one party is in the right and one party is in the wrong. A compromise means it's not judgment. A compromise means everyone forfeits a little bit, everyone gets a little bit of what they wanted, but not everything. Everyone walks out happy, okay, no one walks out miserable, but no one walks out delighted. That's what a compromise is. But a compromise is not judgment. And if you're a judge, you should try to steer towards that result, because then you're not taking responsibility. When you are rendering a judgment, you're taking responsibility and you better be sure that you make the correct ruling. And therefore, if possible, if you can convince litigants to agree to find a compromise, a settlement instead of a judgment, you should seek out that course. Now, the next two mitzvahs are going to talk about not favoring any of the litigants. You have a powerful litigant, you have a weak, a poor, a less fortunate litigant. You may feel motivated, you may feel compelled, you may feel an urge to favor one over the other, and those will be violations of Torah. Again, the concept of judgment. Judgment is what is the will of God in this particular case. And you making calculations based upon anything besides for the merits is a violation of Torah law. So mitzvah number 234, is if you have a great person, an honorable person, a rich person, a powerful person, you may feel compelled to honor them and to show favor to them. After all, it's an important person. His dad is a senator. He's very wealthy. He's very powerful. Let me give him some honor. Let me accord them some preferential treatment. You may not do that. So an example of this would be, there are various parts of the judgment and the protocol of judgment that require the litigants to stand or to sit. And when you're asking where litigants to stand, you're essentially telling them, we're the court and you are subject to our ruling, you must stand up. And to tell someone who's very important, someone who's very distinguished, Sounds very honorable, stand up. That's demeaning, that's belittling. And you may say, you know what? I'll have the other guy stand, not him. That would be a violation of this mitzvah. If you are standing in front of the court, you're standing in front of God, and the respective honor and stature of these humans is nothing compared to God. And therefore, you cannot make different rules For the litigants, even if you're not going to show favoritism in the verdict for the honorable person, for the important person over the other one, in any part of the judicial proceedings, you may not show favoritism to the respectable person over the other litigant in this particular case. Now, on the flip side, we missed number 79, and that's not to favor the poor. And this again is a counterintuitive mitzvah. You may feel, after all, it's a mitzvah to do charity and to help the less fortunate and the weak and the downtrodden and the poor. We have to help them. Let me try to nudge the case so that they win or that they don't lose. That would be a violation of this particular mitzvah. There is a motivation to do this. After all, you would say, listen, I'm the judge. I have a mitzvah to give charity to this person. Oh, you know who else has a mitzvah to give charity to this person? The other litigant. This is a poor person. You got to help them. I'll find a solution. He'll give charity. I'll give charity. We'll render the ruling that the poor person wins. And you know what? It's even better than giving charity. Because when you give charity, the person who is the recipient of the charity, well, they feel a little bit uh, ashamed. They lose a little bit of their stature, of their dignity, because they had to become a recipient of someone else's largesse, of someone else's kindness. I'll come up with an ingenious solution. They'll win... They'll win the case and they'll get their charity and they'll think that they actually earn the money. It's beautiful. It give charity without the person not even knowing. It's the highest form of charity. That is what a judge may think. Let me corrupt the judgment in order to provide a living in dignity for the poor. And that is a terrible mistake because... When it comes to judgment, you cannot bring in the concept of charity or anything else aside from the will of God. And if you corrupt that, if you corrupt judgment, if you say that the will of God is, in this particular case, that this person wins when they really don't, that is a terrible corruption and perversion of justice. And that is a violation of this mitzvah. Now, I want to talk about this concept in general In modern parlance, there is a term called income inequality. You've heard that term before, right? That some people are very, very rich, and some people are very, very poor, and that's a problem that we have to remedy. I feel like that term is similar to this mitzvah, or at least the motivation behind someone wanting to favor the poor. We believe In God. And we believe that if someone becomes rich, they might have wanted that to happen. And if someone is poor, they might have wanted that to happen as well. Now again, we are commanded to give charity. That's a mitzvah. But there's a difference between charity and law and justice. Charity is a very noble mitzvah. The Talmud says that charity is a mitzvah that's so important It's equal to all 613 mitzvos put together. We definitely believe in the concept of charity. But there's a mistake to say, Oh, God got this wrong. God made a mistake. And I'm going to fix God's mistake. That is a terrible violation of faith. We believe that God made some people rich, some people poor, and the body wants the rich people to give charity to the poor people but we are commanded to separate from justice, if you will, the notion of charity. We are required to give charity. We are required to help the less materially fortunate. But when it comes to judgment, we're commanded that we must have a fair system and the justice must be done in accordance with the will of the Torah. And in effect, when someone tries to corrupt that, it's actually a violation of faith because you're saying God made a, made a mistake. You're not righting wrong when you're giving charity, when you're trying to solve inequality. You're actually doing the will of God. And it will be a disregard of faith to say, I'm going to fix it and I'm going to override the will of God. Now, the final mitzvah we're going to cover today is mitzvah number 235, and that's the positive mitzvah, to judge with justice, bitzedeck tishpot Amitach is a very famous verse in Leviticus chapter nineteen. It's only a few verses away from the most famous mitzvah, perhaps of all, you shall love your fellow as yourself. And in that part of the Torah, Parshas Kedoshim, it has a bunch of mitzvos in a row. Every verse has like two or three mitzvos. It's, I believe, the parsha, the Torah section that has more mitzvos than any other. But there is a mitzvah to judge our fellow man with justice, with righteousness. And this is similar to some of the ideas that we've spoken about already, hitherto. But there's other aspects to this mitzvah as well. So one aspect of this mitzvah is to treat the litigants that come to court, treat them equally. So for example, we cannot tell one side of the dispute you speak as long as you want. Tell me your side of the story. Present to me your argument. Tell me how you saw what went down. And then the other person gets up to say, just, just, just tell me quickly what actually happened, you know, just shorten it. We cannot show any favoritism when it comes to speaking time. That's one aspect of this mitzvah. Another aspect of this mitzvah is you should judge with righteousness. That means that even though we're told that you should try to avoid being a judge, try to find compromise, try to let other people do this job. If you are qualified to judge, if you're someone who is able to really plumb the depths of the law, As someone who's familiar with all the intricacies of the law, you're actually someone who is qualified to be a judge. You must not shirk your responsibilities and say let someone else judge. What happens then if you are indeed qualified to be a judge? You may feel an urge to say, you know what, I don't want to get tangled up in all this. But there is a mitzvah for you for people who are qualified to be a judge to indeed accept that responsibility. Moreover, if you don't do it, who are they going to hire? They might hire someone who's less qualified. And therefore, if you are qualified, you must indeed embrace that mantle, that responsibility of being a judge. There's another aspect of this mitzvah we're told here in Sefer Chenuch. And that is that we must judge our fellow man favorably. If you see someone who does something ambiguous, it could be interpreted in one way. You could judge them favorably. It could be interpreted in another way. You could judge them negatively. You could say, well, maybe they, they meant something good. Maybe they meant something bad. It's ambiguous. You don't know what they actually are doing. As an outsider, You're looking in. You don't have all the information. But you must render a judgment. There is a mitzvah, part of this mitzvah. Again, there's many aspects of this mitzvah, 235, to judge with righteousness. There is a mitzvah to judge others favorably. Again, suppose that the facts, at least as you see it, can furnish two interpretations. You could say they did something righteous or they did something wicked. There's a mitzvah to judge favorably. Now, all these ideas are, again, things that society relies on. If I judge others favorably, it creates a certain rapport. It creates a certain confidence. It creates just a happy, wholesome society where people are not always suspicious of other people. People feel like they have friends, people they can rely upon. And of course, judgment in the more technical legal sense is the foundation that all great societies are built upon. If I show favoritism to one of the litigants, I say, well, you can speak as long as you want, and I cut off the other person, the other person may get flustered, won't be able to think on the fly, will forget their arguments, And then I'm going to hear one side's impartial, one side's complete arguments. The other side, I'm not going to hear the arguments at all. And I'm going to render a ruling that's actually wronged, not because I'm processing the information incorrectly, but because I designed the system that brought me flawed information. I didn't get one side story. And I'm going to render a ruling and I have no idea that it was a corrupt ruling. So this is the idea, is that whenever we have justice for all, we have stability, we have peace, we judge others favorably, we make sure that everyone is treated equal under the law. The Talmud even brings an interesting law. If one of the litigants walks in and they look disheveled and they're not dressed properly, and the other one walks in with a perfectly tailored suit and coiffed hair. That's a problem. We have to have equality. We cannot have a situation in which one of them looks innocent, another one looks guilty. Now, there's another interesting aspect of this law brought by the Sefer HaChinach. What about when we have a docket? So we're told if you're a judge, you have to judge Deliberately. You have to make sure every case is given the proper attention. But there's a hundred cases. There's a thousand cases. And everyone wants their case to be aired in court. Who gets priority? So there's actually a system here. The law states that if there is a widow or an orphan, they take priority over everyone else. If you have a Torah scholar's case and a boorish ignoramus case, you must judge the Torah style's case first. If there's a case involving a man, and there's a case involving a woman, the priority goes to the woman. And all this is part of this generalized, just society included in this mitzvah of judging others favorably, of having justice and righteousness in the land. One more thing before we sign off, the concept of judging favorably. Most of us are not going to actually judge others. We'll never sit, most likely most of us, I would say, are not going to sit behind a bench and actually render rulings. Maybe we'll end up maybe on a jury. But I find that uh, most people know how to get out of jury duty. Even though, of course, it's your civic responsibility and the like. But most of us are busy and uh, won't end up on a jury, most likely, in our lifetimes. Maybe yes, but maybe not. But this particular aspect of this mitzvah, to judge favorably, is something that we probably do every day. Every day we see people, and they're they're acting, they're behaving, they're saying things, they're doing things. And we don't always know all the factors that go into people's behavior. And we are told that we must judge others favorably. Whenever someone acts in an ambiguous way, we have to try to, in our heads at least, judge them that they acted properly. Now, this particular law, there are some details to it. Meaning that... When you have a righteous person who does something ambiguous, even if the simple interpretation of their behavior is that it's a sin, you must judge them favorably. If you have a wicked person, you know this is a wicked person. And even if they do an ambiguous act that seems to be favoring, that seems to be leaning that it's a righteous act, You actually must judge them that they're trying to seek ulterior benefits. It's not really a righteous act. So there are some details to this law. It's not just, you know, carte blanche that across the board, we always judge everyone favorably. If someone is a wicked person, in aggregate, we're not supposed to judge them favorably. But in general, someone's a good person. In general, a good person. to do something and it seems a little bit suspicious. It seems a little shady. For such a person, we are required to judge them favorably. Now, the Talmud gives a great story. Whenever we talk about judging favorably, we have to read the story in the Talmud, the book of Shabbos, page 127b. It talks about a man. And this man was hired as a laborer for a landowner in the south and he worked for him for three years. So we have a person who lives in the north, is hired as a laborer for someone in the south for a rich landowner in the south for three years. And after three years of work, it's time for the laborer to get paid And to go back home. And he goes to the master, to the landowner, very wealthy person, and says to him, Okay, I did my three years of work, pay me. So the landowner tells him, I don't have any cash. I don't have any cash, I can't pay you cash. He says, No problem. You give me fruits. You have, after all, these orchards and fields, you have lots of fruits. Give me your fruits, I'll take the fruits, I'll sell them in the marketplace, I'll convert it to cash. No problem. So he says to him, I'm sorry, I don't have any fruits. Now they're standing in middle of an entire empire of assets, of fruits and orchards and fields. And the guy says he has no fruits. But the laborer is nonplussed. No problem. Just give me land. Give me land. I'll sell the land. I'll convert it to money. No problem. I don't have any land. Give me livestock. Give me sheep. I don't have any of that. You know what? Just give me like uh, blankets and linen. I'll sell that. I'm sorry. I don't have that either. The laborer takes his tools, slings them on his back, and walks home. Three years of work ends up with nothing. He gets home. And several weeks later the landowner shows up with three donkeys one containing food and one containing drinks and one containing all kinds of other delicacies and money and they have a feast together and he pays them all the money and now he's paid up for the three years of labor. And then they start talking about what happened. So the landowner tells the laborer Well, when I said to you, I don't have any cash, what did you think? So the laborer responds, I thought that maybe you used all your cash for a business deal that you got. You had a business opportunity and you had to use all your available cash to go seize the opportunity. Okay, well, what about when I told you that I don't have Any animals? What did you think then? Well, when you said you had no animals, I thought maybe you had lent them out. And when I said I had no field, no actual property, no real property, no real estate, I thought maybe you leased it out to other people. And what about fruits and vegetables? I thought they weren't tithed. And what about when I asked for linen, when you asked for linen or something like that? I said, said, maybe you pledged that to God. In every one of these conversations, the laborer judged the landowner favorably. And the landowner tells the laborer, I want to, I promise, I swear in the name of God that everything that you said was accurate. All of your judging favorably was actually precisely accurate. And just as you judged me favorably, may the Almighty judge you favorably. That's what the Talmud says, the book of Shabbos, page 127b. And this laborer is considered to be the paragon of judging others favorably. Now Rashi, in his commentary, tells us that we actually know the identity of this particular laborer. He was not a scholar, at least not quite yet. But this laborer was none other than the great Rabbi Akiva. Before he went to study at the age of 40, we know he went to study at the age of 40, right? He had this big epiphany. At the age of 40, he goes to study. Beforehand, he was already a man of exquisite character. And he was already judging other people favorably. He was ignorant. He knew no Torah. But the matings of a giant was already in place. And in fact, the landowner was Rabbi Eliezer, who was the greatest sage in the length of time, who went on to be Rabbi Akiva's teacher in Torah. He was the landowner, and Rabbi Hiva was the laborer. And this story indicates that even before he went on to become a great sage, he was already a person of exquisite character but that's the story we always have to talk about this story whenever we talk about judging favorably. But the mitzvah in general, the four mitzvahs we cover today, 79 thirty to three, thirty four, 233, 34, and 35, they in general tell us that we must live in a just society, a righteous society. There must be equality under law. You cannot favor the rich. You cannot favor the weak. You must judge in accordance with the ruling of the Torah. You may not corrupt the judgment. And if we have a society like that, then we... We're doing our responsibility, and we are faithfully representing God in judgment. I thank you for listening. My email address is rabbiwolby at gmail.com. I look forward to your questions, your comments, and your feedback.